This morning, I would like to invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. Last week, we discussed a particular parable, the parable of the uh, wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares. And uh, it was a rather uh, good-sized parable, especially when you take the parable itself and then the later explanation of the, um, of the parable. And so we just concentrated on a single parable. Uh, today, we're actually going to look at five different parables. Some of you uh, just had a revolt in your stomach because you just thought, I'm never going to eat lunch. Pastor Tim's looking at five parables. It's going to be a terrible day. But let me assure you, uh, that is not going to be the case. In fact, today's sermon is called pocket-sized parables or pint-sized parables because these are itty-bitty tiny parables. And there's five parables, and yet only three points are going to come out of this. So we had a six-point message last week. It's only a three-point message this week. So never fear. All of these parables are actually about the kingdom of God, and we're going to learn what these small little bitty parables have to tell us about a really important subject, and that is God's kingdom. So we are going to be reading, uh, starting in verse uh, 31. If you would please stand with me in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. Matthew 13, 31. Then he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds come in and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these, um, all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So it was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And then down in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, and they threw the bad fish away. This is how it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. Let's pray. God, we come to you and Lord, we thank you so much for these parables and what they teach us about your kingdom. Father, even as um, the fragility of this world we live in, 
and, and even of our lives itself is reinforced to us as, as our security um, in so many other things, Father, is, is lessened. Lord, we can understand that you are our rock. We can hold on to you and, and your kingdom. And so, Father, we pray that we would understand and grow to be more assured and more confident, deeper in our faith and our trust in you through your word, which we examine today. May your Holy Spirit be at work to draw each of us closer to you, uh, to make us more like Christ, to love you more, to be more faithful servants who shine your light in ministry and love and in witness to this world, bringing honor and glory to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So these little pint-sized or pocket-sized parables, five little parables, what do they teach us about the kingdom of God? A kingdom that uh, does not show up on any map, any globe that you've ever seen. I, I remember I, as a child, I used to be fascinated by globes. Now, I don't, I'm just like the rest of Americans. I stink at geography. Okay, really bad. I stink at geography. And yet, globes just always fascinated me. And it was always funny. When I was a kid, I'd come across an old globe. And, you know, some of the nations would be changed and different and different names. And I recently read something that actually borders have changed less in the last 10 15 years than they have in a long time. There's kind of actually some more stabilities in borders around the world. And yet, from what Scripture teaches us, the greatest kingdom will never be found on any map or globe, and that is God's kingdom. And that is the one that while worldly kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, are, are real, there is a higher kingdom for us as believers to think about. As to consider as well, what do we need to know about this kingdom? Three things I want us to think about today. First of all, the kingdom of God is far more, far greater than it appears. Most people, even Christians, often devalue the kingdom of God, often don't think too much about the kingdom of God. We think about Jesus as kind and as saving and as full of grace, but so often we put aside the idea of Jesus as king and Jesus as Lord. And a king is not a king without a kingdom, right? Uh, you're just some person with a, some kind of little name and some kind of little heritage. And claim, you know, anybody can claim they're royal. In fact, there's deals now where you can buy your way into royalty. Did you know that? There's, there's lots of money-making deals out there where you can, in Europe, you can go over there and you can pay a certain amount of money and, and buy some tiny little square inch of land or, or do something like that, and, and you're royalty. But not really. I mean, no, only in technicality. But a real king has to have a kingdom, right? And if Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords, it means he has a real kingdom, and he does. And his kingdom is real, and it is a powerful kingdom, yet it is a devalued, it is a overlooked, it is a uh, easily pushed to the side kingdom. And Jesus knew this. He knew that people, not only unbelievers, but even believers would often disregard and perhaps even disrespect the kingdom of God. And he told us, because 
Remember, everything is different in the way that Jesus does. He doesn't do things like the way the world does things. Remember, the greatest in his kingdom will be the servant of all, right? So he says the first will be last and the last will be first. In my kingdom, everything is different. So he says, look, look my kingdom is going to appear to be frivolous. My kingdom is going to appear to be nothing, the strong men of the world, the people who are movers and shakers, who are the baddies, who are the tough guys, who, who think they're really something in this world, are often going to overlook the kingdom of God and think it's nothing. But in the end, it will triumph over and it will be greater than everything else in this world. And people will one day see, even though they overlook it right now. And he gave two examples of that. He said, number one, he said, it's like the mustard seed. He said, it's the tiniest of all the little bitty seeds. Uh, <clears throat> now, Jesus, by the way, was not like comprehensively talking about the whole world. If somebody wants to geek out and nerd out and go, oh, I searched Google and I found a smaller seed. He was talking about the seeds that people would have known in his day in that region, okay? So of the people, of the seeds that they knew back then, that was the seed that what everybody knew was the smallest seed, Okay. I'm sorry, I have to say that because there's those nerdy type people, ooh, I proved Jesus was wrong. No, no, no. Okay, he's just making a point here. Everybody would have agreed with him that he was talking to, yeah, that's the smallest seed. He said, but guess what? That tiny little seed that seems small and tiny and itty-bitty and insignificant, once it grows, it becomes the largest plant in the whole garden so large that it grows into a tree and birds can nest on its branches. And guess what? Those birds can't nest in a tomato plant and they can't nest in the other, these other kind of things. And it seems so small. It starts so small, just a kernel, just a tiny little seed, and it blossoms into something great. And he said, the kingdom of God is just like that. And he gives another parable that goes right along with it. He says, there's the yeast that a woman works into dough when she's baking something. And said, once that yeast is poured in there, she's kind of kneaded it and mixed it all in, it just looks like dough. You can't see that yeast anymore, can you? Once it's mixed in, you just, it just looks like a lump of dough, just like it looked before the yeast got added. And, and the whole time that the dough's just there, and then the whole time it's in the oven, you're just sitting here thinking, that's just dough, just like it was before. But guess what? When the oven door opens, we know whether the yeast worked or not. Because if the yeast was really in there and if the yeast worked, something's going to be real different about that dough when it comes out. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is just like that. All along throughout time, people are going to be disrespecting and disregarding God's kingdom, thinking, oh, I can't really see this, oh, this whole God stuff. I don't see how it makes a difference. I don't see what it's doing. And all the while, God is behind the scenes, working in and throughout people's lives, behind the scenes and in his providential ways. And at the end time, God is going to reveal himself and people are going to be like, wow. How did I never see that? How did I not understand the grandness and the greatness of God's plan for this universe? Because I never trusted and I never had faith. And so God is letting us know. He is promising us that my kingdom is a great kingdom. But you're not going to see that with these physical eyes. You're going to have to see it through the eyes of faith. So don't make that mistake of looking at God's kingdom through physical eyes, or you will judge it just like an unbeliever, even if you are a Christian. 
You have to look at his kingdom through the eyes of faith and trust what God has said. So the number one thing Jesus wanted to tell us here, point number one, the kingdom is far greater than it appears to the physical eye. Point number two, the kingdom is worth devoting your whole life to. Again, he tells uh, uh, two parables here, a set of parables to make this point. He talks about it in verse um, 25. See, I lost my spot for a second here. Here we go. He says, not 25. I'm off. Sorry, 44. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure found in a field. When a man found it, he hid it, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of the great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So uh, this is very interesting. This, this also kind of teaches us, by the way, how we evaluate parables. Parables, especially these small ones, they're trying to teach us one singular point, okay? Especially these small focused parables. And so if you start trying to push them too far in other ways, you're, you're going to get confused because some people get bothered by this first parable where the man finds some treasure in a field. He's like, whoa, and he buries it and doesn't tell anybody and goes back and buys it. So then he can add and some people are like, oh, is that ethical? Is that right? Should he have, should he have told? To, okay, that's not Jesus's point. Okay, his point is not about the ethics of it. In fact, in Jesus' parables, sometimes he talks about good, nice people. Sometimes he talks about real crafty people like that, that servant who was stealing. I mean, he told a, a parable about him. The point is not to talk about what a good, nice man this was. The point is that this guy realized what was in this field was worth everything to him, and he did everything he could to get it. The second parable was this guy who was apparently obsessed with finding the perfect pearl. Now, I, I don't get this, really. I'm just going to be honest. You know, maybe it's because I'm a guy. I don't know. I'm just like... Pearls, you know, I mean, you know, I know back in my mother's younger day, pearls were a big deal. I know girls wear them in their senior pictures. I, I don't really get the big deal about pearls, but, you know, I was reading some stuff and they were talking about, especially back then in that day, how f having the greatest pearl was this, you know, ultimate status symbol in the ancient world. And this guy was obsessed with pearls and, and he sold everything he had so he could say, I got the greatest pearl. And the idea here was the kingdom of God is that ultimate thing that's worth having over everything else. Now, here's something interesting that we, we have to go ahead and say. We can't buy the kingdom of God, okay? We've got to make that point clear. Jesus wasn't trying to say that you could buy the kingdom of God. But what he was saying is it's worth everything it's worth devoting your whole life to it's worth more than anything else and I think we can understand this concept better if we go back to Jesus earlier words that Matthew also recorded in Matthew chapter 6 in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus had just been talking about to the disciples about basically what real long-term investing was and and, and he kind of helped them understand Long, real long-term investing is 
not putting into your 401k. Real long-term investing is storing up your treasures in heaven, where moth and rust does not corrupt and thieves don't break in and steal. Like they, all the stuff that you can put all your money into, you know, it can all be taken away. Uh, my brother-in-law worked for Enron, had, had a lot of run money. In that Enron stock, guess what it was worth when Enron went down? (laughs) Wasn't worth anything, right? We, We can invest all kinds of money in all kinds of things and think that we are so set, right? But, but things can be taken away. But guess what? What we have in heaven can't be taken away. And Jesus was talking to him about that. And he was also talking about, you know, you can't love both God and money. And, and he was giving them those things. And in that process, right there, in that conversation, I'm going to pick up in verse 25. He says, therefore, I tell you. So that's why I gave you the background. So he says, therefore, that is understanding about real long-term investment and really knowing the fact that you can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not more valuable? Are are you not more valuable than they are? Can any one of you add a single hour to your life by worry? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... Will he not how that much more clothe ye, you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Did you hear that? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. I kind of have a feeling that, you know, a lot of Jesus preaching got some good amens. And, you know, if he'd have been preaching against rich folks who had these expensive, needless mansions, amen, brothers, preach on Jesus, they don't need that. And, and these folks who, you know, just threw away money and used and abused people. Oh, amen, that's wrong. But then when he started preaching about you people who worried about what you're going to eat, I bet it got a little silent. I, I bet there weren't as many people, you know, amening. They were starting to owe me instead. Because we all like to condemn the excesses the people who worry about their Rolexes or their sports car you know or their whatever but when he starts talking about worrying about our bills and our house and our clothing and our food then a lot more of us start feeling tender toes like they've been stepped on because a lot of us feel like we have a right to worry about those things and Jesus said guess what 
Your Father God knows that you need those things. Why are you worried about them? He knows. And which one of you, by worrying, has added a single day to your life? Not a single day. And I'm going to tell you, if there is a passage, I can't think of a passage of Scripture that is more relevant for us right now than this right here. Because every single one of us has had our plans and our future and this mirage, this, this figure of imagination, this thing we think we have control over our life has been blown away. And now we all realize we basically have no control over our schedule, over our future, over the way that we used to do things and have things just the way we want them. And now we're like, worry, 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 what's going to happen this? And every time something gets set, a new date changes or a new protocol changes or this or that. Nothing is stable. And so we're constantly tempted to worry and fret and fear. And you know why? Because we're not saying, God, you're in control. Because we're trying to maintain some kind of control over it. In our minds, some kind of little, we're trying to depend on some kind of routine, some kind of control, some kind of something else besides God. And God says, I know you need clothes. I know you need food. I I know you need a roof to put, to lay your head under at night. I know all of this. Would you just trust me? And here's what he said. If you seek my kingdom first, that is, if you put the kingdom of God as your number one priority in life, all these things will be added unto you. What does that mean? Put my kingdom first, do what's right, and I'm going to take care of your food and your clothing and your shelter. But if you put my kingdom, if you say, oh, I love God and I'm about his kingdom, but you put it way down here on the priority list and you put these food and clothing and shelter up here on your priority list, you're going to run around in fear and worry and your stomach's going to be knots and ulcers because you can't control it all. That's God's job. And God says, just let me do my job. Just trust me to do my job, and I'll take care of you. The kingdom is worth devoting your whole life to. It is that pearl of great price. It is that piece of property that's worth selling everything for. It is that thing that you should put above all other things. So the kingdom is far greater than it appears. The kingdom is worth devoting your whole life to. And third and final, the kingdom cannot be hacked. The kingdom cannot be hacked. Third and final parable here, beginning in verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. And when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. They sat down and collected the good, the good fish in baskets, and they threw the bad away. And This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous, and they'll throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, last week was all about the existence and the reality of fake Christians. 
that there are really those who are, for whatever reason, they're going to get on the bus, the Christian bus. They're going to ride it like everyone else. They're, they're going to go along and they're going to pretend. And we're going to kind of, again, be tempted to worry about that and, and fret about that. And what about them? And, you know, one of the things whenever I was a youth minister a million billion years ago, I, I used to warn parents the worst influence on your kids will not be the kids who admit that they are not Christian. The worst possible influence on your kids will be the kids who say they're Christians, but then do all the things that Christians shouldn't do. Because your kids will be tempted by those kids who say, well, I'm a Christian, and I do that stuff, so it's cool, it's okay. So these people, and guess what? We may pretend that peer pressure and that kind of thing only works on kids, but that's not true. It works on adults, too. Uh, the most damaging folks to Christians are not the unchristians, but they're the Christians who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I just live this way against God's rules, against God's laws, against his patterns. And if you want to be cool, be like me, too. And we wonder, is God really doing his job? Has he got this under control and the reality is, he is. And we say, well, why does he let them do their thing? Well, first of all, again, it comes back to trusting God. God's got his plans, and God's, God's got his reasons, and God's got his ways. But I'll tell you this. Even when it goes to, if we take it down a notch to God's kingdom, down to earthly kingdoms, do you know that when governments find out that there's a spy, that they don't immediately root them out? They don't immediately call them out and send them back. That when they find out there's a spy, often they'll say, okay, now we're going to start feeding them false information to send back to their country because they think they're sending back good information. And we're going to play them as a spy. In other words, I'm not saying God sends false information, but I'm saying even earthly kingdoms know how to deal with infiltrators into their kingdoms. God has his reasons. God had his, has his ways. But the point is, while in earthly kingdoms, people may get away with being traitors and spies and never be caught, in God's kingdom, there is always a day of judgment coming. There is always a final evaluation. And Scripture puts it in a number of terms. God makes a lot of pictures, but it's always clear. You can call it good fish and bad fish. You can call it wheat and tares. You can call it sheep and goats. You can call it the righteous and the unrighteous. You can call it whatever you want. But Jesus says there is a day where there will be a separation between those who have truly accepted Christ and those who have rejected him. And while we live in a world where everything can be hacked, everything can be, well, we'll find a way around it. We'll find a shortcut. We'll fake it. We'll rig it. We'll, we'll get around it. You can't hack the kingdom of God. You can't rig the kingdom of God. You can't go over the wall. The Bible says you have to go through the gate. And anybody who doesn't go through the gate of Jesus Christ is an imposter. And they will not make it into the kingdom of God. And so we need to understand 
that the kingdom of God, although in our minds right now, we look around and sometimes we don't see with our physical eyes what God is doing. And we also see people who claim the name of Christ and they're doing things far from Christ's ways and we don't get that either. And we say, there's so many other options out there in this world. Is it really worth it to live for Christ? Jesus is telling us in these parables, if we will look through the eyes of faith, that the kingdom of God is working in ways that we cannot see. And the kingdom of God is one day going to be revealed greater than any other kingdom and any other anything in this world it is the most magnificent, grandest thing that God has ever created. And that the kingdom of God will be the only thing worth having. And that no one is going to sneak in, but only those who have truly followed his ways by trusting in Jesus Christ will stand with God and reign, rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom one day. When we get those things and understand those things, it changes the way we live. Instead of everything being about, what am I going to do next? How am I worried about this bill, that bill? How am I going to this and that and the other? And all the finances and all the stress that we all get caught up in until we realize, guess what? You know what? This stuff's important. We all want good things for not just ourselves, but for our kids, our families, for our communities. All that's important. But what's most important is God. And God said, if you put me where I'm supposed to be in your life, I'll take care of all that other stuff. Put me there and the rest will fall in line. Would you pray with me? God, I am as guilty as anyone else listening to my voice today of putting other things, of worrying, of fretting, of fearing, of forgetting where you should be. And God, I confess that to you. And Lord, I just pray for myself and for everyone else, whether they're physically present or watching this video today or some other day. God, would you help us from the word of God that we've heard as we've read and for from your spirit working among us as we listen to your word. God, convict us of where we've gotten away from our passion for your kingdom and where, where we've gotten too focused on our own little personal kingdoms and, and all our own little personal agendas. God, help us to re realize that these selfish little passions that we've gotten caught up in, Lord, you would have taken care of us far better if we'd have been focused on your passion, on your agenda. And Lord, we don't have to have control right now because you're in control. Lord, we simply need to trust you. May you increase our faith. Lord, may, you, may we just simply be willing to admit that we are needy, that we are ignorant, that we don't understand that we are stressed, and so we need to throw ourselves on your mercy, God. And we need to call out to you. We need to offer up to you, Lord, all of this need and this hurt and this bewilderment we have, and simply trust you. Search for your grace and your mercy to be upon us. Help us to be humble enough 
to do that. Father, for those of us that already trust you, let us go back and be reminded and understand where we might have drifted away from you and and confess that. And for those, Lord, who have, have never trusted you, Father, God, may they enter the kingdom today. May they realize that they can exchange their own useless and futile uh, desire to build their own kingdom and exchange it for membership in your kingdom, confessing you as their Lord and Savior and trusting you for their salvation. God, may you convict us all. May you prick our hearts, our consciences to be where we need to be. Cause us, through your kindness, lead us to repentance and cause us to draw closer to you, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.